podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and I am very excited to be presenting my guest today, Casey Robin. Casey is a fantastic visual development artist. She's worked for companies like Disney, Zondervan, and Pac-12. She has her own sketchbook out right now called Fluff and Twirl that is absolutely delightful. And she is the co-curator of a new art exhibition that will be having its grand opening reception this Friday, May 5th at Center Stage Gallery in Burbank, California called Project Neverland. The reception will be held from 7 to 10 p.m. It is a free event and all of you should come out and check it out. Casey will be there. A number of other excellent artists are going to be there and I'm going to be there as well. So come on out, say hello, check out the art, buy some art, get some books from Center Stage Gallery, enjoy the free refreshments. It's going to be a wonderful time. And there are a number of other exciting animation events that are also happening this week. So make sure to check out the show notes and the website at theanimatedjourney.com for all the information and for links to get to all of those events and to check out all of Casey's work. So without further ado, I present episode 42, Interview with Casey Robin. My guest today is Casey Robin. Casey is no stranger to the art world, along with curating art shows. She's also done a great deal of personal work, including books. She's worked for such companies as Disney, Nick Jr., and Zondervan. Casey, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hi. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So as I like to start with all of our shows, I love to hear people's origin stories how they got involved, and I understand that you actually are originally from Southern California and then moved to Northern California, Mm -hmm. and then it was Disney that first got you really interested in art, so I want to know if you could talk more about that. Sure. Well, when I was five, my dad took me to see The Little Mermaid, and that was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen at that point in my life, Mm -hmm. and it's actually my first memory of being in a theater and seeing anything. So that planted a seed, but it wasn't until I was about 14 that it got really specific. I was in Borders, and I found this book on the art of animation, and it had pre-production work from Hercules, which at that point had not yet been released, and I was thunderstruck. I had never seen pre-production work, I kind of thought that the characters just sort of like happened. I hadn't thought about it. And so when I saw that you could deconstruct something like Greek art and reconstruct it into something like like what they were making with Hercules and use these shapes and shape language and design elements to tell a story and to make these cool characters, I was like that. I I need to do that. And so then I was like, well, what do I need to do to get there? And I read everything I could and I asked around and basically what I was told was go learn to draw really well. So I did. <laughs> you know, I, I went to Florence and I studied all these different schools and I did, you know, CalArts summer program for animation and the, the Illustration Academy and I just tried to get as much drawing experience, as much art experience and art history as I could to, you know, prepare myself for, for that kind of work. Fantastic. And at the time, did you know that I want to do visual development or was it more of I just want to work in animation and just find my place there? Honestly, it was just I want to make Disney movies. At the time, I was like, I want to make that. Therefore, I guess I'm going to be an animator. Um. And obviously, animation has changed quite a lot. 
and I still wanted to draw. I didn't love the process of 3D. Uh, I didn't find it personal enough, you know? And so I went more towards, you know, I, I studied illustration and it did things that could use drawing and painting. And when I was, oh gosh, 26, I got into the talent development program at Disney for story. Mm -hmm. And I had also applied for VizDev. I was kind of told you're good at story, but I had a real attraction to character design, production design, those aspects of the work. So I went in under story, but also studied VizDev. And I was really glad to be able to get to taste both. Mm -hmm. You know, I found that I really, I like the process of developing an image and taking it to a more finished place. Though like storyboarding is so, 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 so important, but I was a bit of a perfectionist. And so I had a hard time with um, making what I considered ugly drawings. My mentor was like, ah, oh, your drawings are too pretty. You know? <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry, is there any role that will be like a boon instead of a, mm -hmm. you know? So I still, I love storytelling and I have a deep respect for board artists, but I, I find myself more attracted to VizDev. And honestly, lately I've been doing so much work by hand that I've been moving into other interesting fields, illustration, textile design. I'm designing a dress for pinup girl right now, and that's oh, really fun, you know? <laughs> so I am exploring new ways of using the skills mm -hmm. that I amassed in pursuit of Disney. Um, but now I'm looking at what other ways can I use them? Like, can I tell my own stories? Can I try something new and see where that leads? That's fantastic. And speaking of your work, I mean, we're in your studio right now and just looking around at all of the art you have and all of your inspiration. There's a lot of inspiration here. So There's much a lot inspiration. Of work here. And also online. I mean, your art is fantastic and it's very whimsical. There's a lot of beautiful colors. Well, thank you. And I'm very curious how you came about developing that type of art for yourself and for others. Where does that come from? Yeah, the, there was actually a very definite shift. When I was in school, mm -hmm. I was trying to impress everybody. I was trying to impress my teachers and the other students, and I was just trying to learn how to draw well. And so I thought that meant being a um, certain amount of pretentious, you know? Oh. And so a lot of the work I was making was a little bit dour, a little bit uh, stuffy, and a little bit show-offy. So it was, it was like, look how nicely I can render things, you know, look how well I can draw anatomy. And it wasn't really trying to give anything to anybody, it was trying to take praise from people because I, at that point, was a, you know, young, insecure student and I just wanted to hear that I was good because I had come from, from nothing, from not being good at drawing really at all to working super hard to get good at drawing. So I wanted to know, like, am I there yet, <laughs> you know? And at a certain point, it flipped. And I started to realize that the art that was most worth making was the art that was going to give something to someone. And I had gone through a season where I was very sad a lot. You know, I was just dealing with depression, with sadness. And I wanted to make something happy, <laughs> something that when you looked at it, it felt like a hug or a smile because I don't think we get that enough in our lives. I think we get a lot of, we feel a lot of alienation. And so I wanted to create things that felt warm and comforting and familiar and whimsical and that were more about presenting something lovely and heartfelt to whoever was looking at it than showing off 
what it was I had learned in school. And so I, I simplified a lot. I started using very basic colors. I left off mixing colors almost altogether instead of elaborately mixing a really muted ochre or something, I would layer on a thin layer of gold and then a thin layer of sienna and then a thin layer of, of green if it needed a green tint. It was actually based on a technique from Photoshop where, you know, you have like your shadow pass, you have like a warmth pass. And I just like, what if I did that, but with acrylic and I watered it down really fine. So you could just build and build and build. And I started to value kind of a glowiness and a lightness and um, an illumination in my work. And I realized the more I scrubbed and the more I fussed that the more I lost that luminous quality. So a lot of my work now is, is trying to capture lightness and softness and kindness. And that's kind of what's guiding me at this point. That is very beautiful. And also, I feel like that takes a lot of courage. Because I know for, <laughs> for myself and for you and for other people, especially if you've gone through art school, yeah, the pervading notion is, oh, what do you want to do? And it's not, oh, I want to create something beautiful or I want to tell this kind of story. It's, I want to work at Disney right. or Pixar oh, that was so or me. DreamWorks. That, that was, was so, that was no, I was thing. just, I was even just, just Disney mm. and even then just feature. And mm -hmm. that's all I want and nothing else will ever make me happy. And I put myself in a trap that way. I made it so, so difficult for myself to be happy that now I'm trying to undo some of that, trying to backtrack a little bit and open up the path and see what else could I do with this, you know? Mm -hmm. What else could make me happy and by extension allow me to extend that happiness to others? That's fantastic. And was there, was there a moment in time or were there just a lot of different things that led you to realize, oh, you know, Disney's great studio, great place to work, but that's not what I want to do. Like, yeah. what was it that helped you realize, oh. oh, but I actually would be happier doing, <laughs> you know, this? Well, to be very honest, mm -hmm. I'm still not sure. Part of me still loves Disney and always will because of what it's given to me. It's, you know, it gave me things like The Little Mermaid or Beauty and the Beast mm -hmm. that made me so happy and inspired me so much. And so I wonder if that may still lie in my future, but I'm trying to get away from pushing my will on my life to the point where I'm not even living each day. I'm just preparing for the next portfolio review. And that was getting me in a cycle that was not productive. So I wouldn't say that it was one. Well, no, maybe there was kind of an aha moment. I had kind of a mentor moment. And at the time, it seemed really, really difficult. But looking back, I think it really helped me realign my sights. Mm -hmm. So Paul Briggs was super kind to me. When I was in the talent development program, he took notice of me and encouraged me to pursue story work. So I had had some difficult passages where I was just not getting what I wanted. I felt a little stuck. I felt unsure of, of where to go. And I felt like the feedback I was getting was not illuminating anything. It was just confusing me more. I was just like, look, I don't know what you guys want from me. I don't know what I'm doing wrong if I'm doing anything wrong, you know? And so I talked to Paul and I was like, you know, would you, I really want to get into the training program for story because I was in the, the lower level, the talent development for story. And I just, I really want to continue that, finish that. And so would you help me? 
And he's like, yeah, you know, and he met with me at a, a cafe in Burbank and he spent a couple of hours with me that first time and kind of told me what it was that would get me into story at Disney. Basically, it was make a story test and entertain me, <laughs> just entertain <laughs> me, which, you know, sounds easy. Uh, but you get in there and it's like, it's like if someone points at you, like, you, be funny. Juggling, is this funny? I don't know. You know, all of a sudden you become very self-conscious. So I, I, I took some weeks off of work and I put everything into the story test, which was, I was kind of trying for that more emotionally resonant style of storyboarding, like the kind that you'd be... You'd be uh, granted the more emotional scenes, the, you know, Anna and Elsa having a heart to heart, that kind of thing. And the less like slapsticky because I just, I'm not good at slapstick. I don't really have an affinity for it, you know? And so I worked super hard in this piece that I was just like, this is so personal and heartfelt. And I brought it to him for a critique and he gave me a very fair and good critique of it. And he was just like, you know, I don't really, I'm not really feeling it. I mean, it's not bad, but it's like, you should change this and that and the other. And I was just at a place where I was not able to rally. I felt like I had spent so much energy over so many years because this had been a, a very long pursuit. I mean, I was 15, 14 when I decided I wanted this. I worked my butt off. I mean, really intensely until I was 26 and I got in the talent development thing. And then I finished school and then I came back and I worked really hard on a portfolio and I applied and it got turned down and that happened for two or three years. And I was at this point just like going after it out of habit because because I want it. And he's like, do you do you enjoy this? I'm like, I don't know. I didn't. I don't enjoy anything anymore. <laughs> like, it's like now it's just roots. Now like, I just have to yeah, do this. I just, to do this. I'm just like, well, I gotta do it because otherwise I'm a loser. I, otherwise, I, I got nothing. Who am I if not what I said I would be when I was 14? And so I had sort of painted this destiny for myself, and now I was kind of discovering that I was becoming a slave to the destiny I had laid out for myself. And so he was just like. Take some time and try to find out what it is you actually like doing, you know, because, you know, you're putting way too much pressure on yourself because I was just beside myself. with like, why won't they let me in? And I think a lot of students fall into that trap and take some time. So I went through a stage of kind of feeling stupid and kicking myself for blowing in, just being like, wow, you really embarrassed yourself, Casey. And then I talked to my godparents, who are really wonderful people who have always been really good at listening to me and giving good advice. And they were just like, you know, is it possible that you've discovered a new path without realizing it? Because look at what you've been doing when you have the freedom to do something. It's, it's mostly hand-drawn. It's mostly hand-painted. Do you want to give that up to go all digital? Do you want to go back to doing the portfolio thing and I was just like no I don't want to go back to the portfolio <laughs> thing I'm tired <laughs> you know uh, I was tired of the anxiety it wasn't the work it was the anxiety uh, around the work and I had found that I had grown more in love with films of Hayao Miyazaki more in love with softer things with old-fashioned things and that a lot of modern vis dev 
was a little, oh, what's the word? A little slick for my taste. Oh. You know, a little, I mean, Boss Baby is coming out and it looks Mm -hmm. really cute, but that's not really the kind of thing that brought me into animation. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to come in and do things like Beauty and the Beast, Mm -hmm. things that were not primarily comedies that weren't primarily slapstick, though they could have comedy in them, Mm -hmm. but were primarily very sensitive fairy tales that were well told and well executed and very emotional, you Mm -hmm. know? And so stuff like The Prince of Egypt makes my heart sing or The Iron Giant, you know, or or Inside Out was Mm -hmm. wonderful. But I feel like my tastes had kind of shifted and I had allowed them to grow and I had allowed myself to stop always doing portfolio stuff and to start trying to get back in touch with what I wanted Mm -hmm. (laughs) and honestly that's that's a journey that I'm still on I'm working on a book that I'm really excited about you know I'm working on a handful of unusual projects that I probably would not have been open to back in my you know runaround portfolio days and I've made a lot of good friends here. And I think I think it's good for me right now to take a step back. And I'm interested to see what will happen on the other side. You know, whether there'll be a new wave, a new style, a new calling. Right now, I'm kind of in the middle of the path. That's wonderful. And I'm so glad that you're sharing that with people. Because it's true. Like, in school, you just think, oh, there's this, without realizing... There is this entire other world of storytelling yep. and art that's being done in another way. And there's a lot of people doing that and they're yeah, happy. The, the Google and Spotlight stories are a great example of that. Absolutely. You're seeing some really interesting new mm-hmm. styles, new types of stories, new medium. Mm-hmm. You know? So I'm just trying to embrace myself and what, what I am and what I like. That is great. And I'm curious too, so as you were discovering that, you know, you got out of school, you decided, all right, I'm going to take this path instead. What did that lead you to? Because you've, since then, you've worked for a number of different companies. You've Mm -hmm. done a lot of different freelance. How did you tailor what you wanted to do into being able to do, you know, various freelance jobs for those other companies? Well, I was lucky in that I had learned to draw very well. And that was a toolbox that I'm really grateful for. So just basic mastery of drawing has allowed me to take a number of illustration jobs from storybooks to fashion illustration, all kinds of different jobs. And some of these I have complete creative freedom. So it's really been interesting. The other thing that really helped me be able to work, you know, even outside of the studio system and working freelance was learning how to design, how to, from the ground up, create a design that's unique. So I really credit the Illustration Academy at Ringling with helping me with this. They would have us go through the whole process from the concept, okay, what is it you're trying to say with your design? What is it you're trying to emphasize? What style would be appropriate? To thumbnailing, to sketches, to layout, and you know, with reference at every point. Um, and I ended up simplifying the method they taught me there. But I find it so important to be able to make something kind of out of whole cloth as opposed to just mimicking. I think it's really dangerous if you learn only by mimicking. Like, that can be a really good jumping-off point, but at a certain point, you have to find your own voice 
even if it's similar to someone else's, you can kind of tell the difference between someone who has a similar aesthetic and similar affinities to another artist and someone who is merely following that artist's blog and drawing everything they draw. I think that can be a trap that young artists can fall into. Certainly, I had to learn to navigate around it because when I was younger, that was just how I, I learned was by hero worship and copying. You know, mm-hmm. The other thing that has really, really helped me find a foothold as a freelance artist is learning how to network, how to network well, and how to promote myself and not be disparaging of myself. I think so often it's easy to be like, someone's like, oh, hey, you do art. And you'll be like, oh, yeah, but it's not that good, though. Oh, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you hear that a lot. Yeah, no, you know, and that's no, that's a that. common mistake mm-hmm. that I think students make is undervaluing their worth in the market. You have to come in with an attitude of this client needs something. And if you can provide it, you know, I can provide it. And, and so what you have is valuable. So. You know, I learned to value my own work. I learned to negotiate and network. And networking to me used to be this really sleazy term mm-hmm. that made yeah. me think of schmoozy, like, hey, babe, let's make a deal. You know, <laughs> like, ah, <laughs> yeah, that's like okay. basically like James Woods Hades was what I thought of, when I thought of networking. <laughs> and, I, and since moving to L.A., mm-hmm. I've discovered that it can actually be done very beautifully in a very genuine way where all it really is is you're connecting with people just as you would connect with a new friend and sometimes it grows into a friendship so they like book illustration well i like book illustration let's talk about it i've gotten to know some wonderful illustrators and we have just such interesting conversations about our favorite artists or trends or what we'd like to do or what we're working on now Mm -hmm. and it's best when you network when you can provide something to someone else you can provide them with maybe a listening ear to listen to their their project or with a piece of praise that's genuine or with a connection to someone else because I love it when I can connect to friends like oh my friend is really good she's been doing storyboards and she's gotten to this fantastic level and my other friend well they need someone to storyboard on their project and let's get them together and then they can take it from there so networking does not have to be just about Hi, will you look at my portfolio? Can you get me a job? So, <laughs> it's like, ah, it's not really networking. Yeah, so much. that's it's just, just like, kind of, Help me. that's like <laughs> demanding yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Or like, or almost like trick or treating. Like, hi, what do you have for me? It's yeah. like, give me all your candy. <laughs> give me all your stuff. Yeah. Whereas what I like to do is to listen to people and try to really connect with them genuinely. And then if I can help them in a way that's reasonable to do that, it makes me feel good too. To be useful to someone else. That is really good. And and getting deeper into that, how did you network? I know that you know you've gone to CTN mm-hmm. many times. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I've done a lot of good mm-hmm. networking there. Yeah, uh, you know, there's a, a couple of different ways that I've learned to network. The biggest thing was to move to the city where my industry was. Now, granted, I'm not currently pursuing a studio position, but I will never not be interested in animation. And I like being around the people who like that. And so moving down to LA from Sacramento was a great move for me. And then it was just a matter of going to people's shows. And again, not making it about yourself foremost, like go to someone's show and they're vulnerable there. They've put their work up on the wall. Well, look at it, you know, mm-hmm. really look at it and, and talk to them about it. And people remember that and appreciate that. And mm-hmm. it's kind of the golden rule. It's what you would want them to do for you. Uh, the other thing that's good is, yeah, conventions like CTN. I have done a lot of networking at conventions. It's a great energy. It's a great place to see everybody and the people who are from out of town and find out where people are at with their projects. And you may discover new opportunities and make new friends. 
And I try to go in without a lot of specific expectations and just to kind of take it in and listen because I think I just, I got tired of going in like, hi, will you give me a job? Hi, will you give me a job? And that didn't work anyway, mm-hmm. because people don't like that. It mm-hmm. makes them feel awkward. It's like, ah, it's like, I'm not really the person in charge of that. I'm just here. Yeah, it's like, uh, gee, I'd love to, but hi, who are you? Yeah. And what, and what do you do? Mm-hmm. You know? The other thing is always have business cards on you. I know it's cliche, but so many times I run into people at coffee shops or film screenings and they're like oh wow we need something like that and I'll be like here's my card you know Mm -hmm. and it's good to keep a good online presence share your stuff on social media it's hard not to fall into that social media hole though Mm -hmm. comparing yourself to others and oh how many followers how many numbers I try to limit how many times I check my social media during the day because at a certain point it just becomes counterproductive Mm -hmm. I need to be making art instead right because let's be real I mean making art is the stuff that's going to get you the other things mm-hmm. you know so right. if you spend so much time obsessing like yeah but did they like that thing that mm-hmm. I posted then you could be using that time to make something that would you know get you the next job and then the other thing is when you're starting out go and get the jobs do your best to network and let people know what you do and then when you have the job deliver on time deliver well just be reliable. Like that's the biggest thing. And then people will come back. So much of my income is from recurring clients mm-hmm. who know that I will deliver well and be easy to work with and deliver on time. And if I don't deliver on time, I will always let them know ahead of time. So mm-hmm. say you get super sick and you're in the hospital, just email them. Like they'll usually be understanding. Mm-hmm. You know? Just inform people like this is what's going on, yeah. not day of yeah not like oh by the way I'm not gonna get you that thing because then they're scrambling Mm you've put them in a bad position and they're gonna remember that when it comes time to hire again Mm -hmm. so yeah I've I've been communication and being dependable and being responsible and professional are just Mm -hmm. super key towards keeping the work coming back sounds important now that's good for people to know too and I I like especially what you said about social media because I think everyone that I've yeah, it's Ever easy known. to fall down that rabbit hole. Everyone at some point, usually multiple points, gets in the, oh, I'm happy about what I posted. Oh, but look at what they're doing. It's like, it's not about yeah. what they're doing. It's about you growing as an artist. And mm-hmm. you're right. If you just keep checking. Yeah, if you keep you refreshing. Know, it's a discipline I have to practice mm-hmm. every day, especially the part about not comparing yourself to others. That's something that I just personally find really challenging because I... I have high standards for myself and I feel like, oh, well, I can check them against where other people are to see if I'm at where I should be. And that's such a slippery slope. Mm -hmm. You know, it can be really destructive to your productivity and even to your relationships if you if you take it too far. So I try to check in with social media, be like, hey, here's my stuff. Check in again, answer any questions people have or comment on comments and and get out of there. And I put my, my iPad away at night. I'm just mm-hmm. like, don't, don't even, I try not to even bother going online after like 9 p.m. because I won't get sleep. That's, that's smart. It's like, you know what? Nothing's happening after nine o'clock. Just go to yeah, bed. Yeah. And if it is, it'll yeah. still be there in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know? It's not like the internet will disappear in the yeah. middle of the night. It's like, nope, it's no more. I mean, if I was waiting for a midnight release of something, yeah. like I'm online, like I'm going to order my Switch, I'm going to get it at midnight. That's one go. thing. But if I'm just tooling around, at a certain point, you're like, wait, what was I even looking for? 
you just, remember. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're just watching lots of cat videos. You're yeah. Just like, oh, this is. You cool. find yourself, you know, like, oh yeah, I should buy some pinking shears. Or just like weird <laughs> decisions you come to in the middle of the night. You get a box two weeks later. What was this? Oh. oh, my dad almost bought a composting toilet because he was watching <laughs> videos saying how America's economy was going to collapse and we're all going to have to live off the grid. Oh so no. So get your bunker shelter ready. And I'm like, oh my god, dad, no more late night internet, please. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> it's always easier to see it if someone else is doing it, but mm-hmm. it's we fall into the same traps too, right? Yeah. You end up going down rabbit holes and exhausting yourself. And mm-hmm. again, that's all energy that could be better spent creating. And when you're not creating, I, I've started spending my energy trying to build up the relationships that I have, you know, really keep my friendships good. And my friends and I have started skating on Tuesday nights oh, and, you know, doing things that are just mm-hmm. fun and just being around people it's it's really easy to get isolated especially yeah. if you work from home well, you, you know? bring up a good point too just going out and being with friends because mm-hmm. there's definitely and i do this too there's those points where it's like no cannot leave must get and there are times hands or whatever <laughs> right, it is right. you know i mean there are times where you legitimately have to bow to the deadline mm-hmm. you know there are times where it's just like no the book is due the scene is due the designs are due tomorrow and you just have to get them done. But if you're staying in thinking, no, I have to get more followers on Tumblr or I have to practice drawing eyes or something, it's good to ask yourself if you're not just avoiding other company. Because often I found that I was cloistering away because I was kind of afraid of social judgment. Like, oh, where do you work? Oh, what do you do? Oh, are you good enough to talk to me? Like that kind of thing. Um, I projected yes. a lot. <laughs> you know, it's just something that, that doesn't real. bother me so much. Yeah. Well, yeah, sometimes it can be real, yeah. but most of the time it was at least magnified in my head uh, to a point where I was just like crippling myself and just like not wanting to go out. Because I'm kind of an introvert anyway. I mean, I can be talkative and I like people, but I can happily stay in my room for days <laughs> at a time. You're like, I've got books, I've got, you know, my art supplies, I've got dolls and drawing things and entertaining videos. I'm good. You know? mm-hmm. But I've also tried to, I try to go out sketching with my friends. You know, that's always fun. But I also try to go out on non-work things with my friends. It's really important to remember that there are other things in the world go to the beach yeah you know hiking or go to the yeah. beach or rock climbing it's like there's an entire world out there that you can mm-hmm. only see if you go out into it you're like no i don't have any time i have to become the best or not right now and yeah i work hard for sure but i think you can tell when you need to just get away from it because otherwise it just you're giving your work ultimate power in your life and work is not going to bring you complete satisfaction ever and that's really hard to accept Because I thought it would. I thought like, oh, once I'm a certain level of good, then I'll be happy Mm -hmm. and satisfied with my life. And I realized that there are other things in life you have to get down, you know, that create happiness together. Work's a part of it, but it's not the only part. I think for me too, like it's it's interesting you bring that up because I found that out when, you know, interning and then working, you meet people that are your heroes and then you hear them say, well, my work's okay. But that person over yeah, there is good. Yeah, everybody's realize, oh, got someone they look away. up to. No, it never, it never does. never ends. There's always... And so you just have to realize, okay, at what point am I just going to be... I will, you know, I will become the artist I want to be, but mm-hmm. I'm also going to get sleep and go outside. Yeah, sleep is really important. Because mm-hmm. I used to do a lot of all-nighters and things. But I realized that the best work I do is in the early morning when I'm rested. 
And so if I'm depriving myself of that time, mm-hmm. I'm depriving myself of some of the richest creative time where I can get done in two hours what would take me 12 hours mm-hmm. if I was exhausted and harried mm-hmm. to do. And it'll be better. Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, there are times where you have to really knuckle down and you can be like, oh, I've really let this slip. I need to really get back to life drawing or gesture drawing or whatever it is. But it can't be a constant because it'll frazzle you. It'll wear you out. Mm-hmm. And it's really good to remember that your heroes have heroes, too. Mm-hmm. And that it'll always be the perfection is elusive. Yeah. <laughs> it'll always be the carrot on the string in front of you. And that's okay. That's what keeps you going. Just make sure it keeps you going and doesn't stop you from making anything. It's like, oh, I don't want to make something not perfect. But if I don't make anything, then it can't be bad. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, so then it's just, it never gets finished. Yeah, it and that's, ends up in the yeah, it, it, there's a John Steinbeck story. I think it was in Cannery Row about a guy who's an artist and he's building a boat and he lives in the boat. And uh, he's put his whole life into building this boat, but he's afraid of water. Mm-hmm. And so he keeps putting off finishing it because, well, once he finishes it, he, he's got to take it on the water. And so he just lives in this purgatory oh. of working on the boat. <laughs> and he doesn't have any girlfriends or any life because he's always working on the boat. And oh, yet man. he is not willing to take the boat out. So I think... It's like Sisyphus. It's like, this yeah, is it's horrible. You, and so I think so much of it is just conquering your fear mm-hmm. and learning to love yourself and and really trying to think of it as what can I give to others, not how do others see me? I find that when you flip that dynamic and think, what can I give to others, whether it's how can I deliver on this thing the client needs or how can I make a funny story that'll make someone laugh or how can I paint a beautiful picture that will inspire someone? It's just a lot easier to create from that point of view for me. And that was something that I learned from Miyazaki. Hmm. He was talking about when he made Kiki's Delivery Service, he made it for the young women who come to the city and get frazzled and isolated and sad. And he wanted to give them a picture of someone who overcomes that. And I'm like, wow, that's that's really beautiful. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's, it's others focused, too. And it takes the pressure off. It's just Yeah. And it's not that you're not trying to do well. Mm-hmm. It's that your motives have shifted from something that's self-focused to something that's outwardly focused. Because I don't think that those of us who pursued this career, I think most of us are pretty good about being hard on ourselves. Oh, very much. You know, but I think mm-hmm. we're not good enough about being um, kind to ourselves and and thinking of others. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and kind of related, but since, you know, you're freelancing, you're working from, I'm curious too, how do you balance your time? Because a lot of people, they would like to work from home. Mm-hmm. You know, some people have are able to do that and some people not. How have you been able to do that and manage your time so that you can get what you need done mm-hmm. and not get distracted by, oh, I can just, you know, go outside today. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it later. Do it, it's Honestly, it's always challenging because mm-hmm. it is always tempting to think, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll work real hard tomorrow and make up for it. But I think I've started to realize the natural patterns of how I am during the day. For example, I'm really creative around 10 in the morning till noon. Those two hours are like magic time. And sometimes if I get up at five, I can get 
so much done before noon that I'm just like good to go, you know? (laughs) But then around one o'clock, my mind starts to drift off and I start being less productive and then I need lunch and then I'm tired after lunch. So I started taking that time for mindless tasks, answering emails, checking on my Etsy shop and doing administrative things. And I've worked a walk in to help wake me up again. So after lunch, I go for a walk and that helps get my mind back into go mode, Mm -hmm. you know, and then I can get back and do the next thing. I try to plan out my week in general at the start of the week, but I don't think it's good to plan it very rigidly because things may come up, especially if you're freelance. I often have like, hey, Casey, can you get me this tomorrow? You know, and I'm like, "Mm, okay, (laughs) next time give me more notice, you know, Uh, but there are always things. And so I try to generally plan out my week in advance, at least roughly, like I'll have a list of goals. And then day by day, I have a small pad that's like four by six inches. Mm -hmm. And I try to put a to-do list that fits on that pad. Because if it's bigger than that pad, I probably won't do it all. And so I try to prioritize, be like, okay, what's key? What's Mm -hmm. my most important thing? And honestly, it's, it's something I'm still finessing. But I think just knowing yourself, knowing... Uh, what your rhythms are, and then choosing your priority, and also knowing when to stop. There are times where I've been at it for hours, and it's just not working, and I'm just sitting there feeling guilty. And that's when it's time to switch to something else. I mean, unless it's absolutely due tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Oh, the other thing that helps so much is I have multiple clients and people that I'm working for. So I have a design client, I have an art director over at Pinup, I have gallery agents and that kind of thing and then I have a literary agent and I get each of them to give me deadlines because without a deadline I will only work on the thing that has a deadline because I'm afraid of disappointing that person and because there's a clear line of demarcation like okay after Monday this person's going to be mad with me you know (laughs) and that fear makes me finish you know Mm -hmm. and so my agent was being super nice and just like oh man we just do this on your time I'm like no, please give me a deadline. I need to be afraid of disappointing you. Because <laughs> otherwise I will just keep putting to the top of the list whatever I'm most scared of. So I've learned how to work with my fear. Oh, that's smart. And deadlines are a great way of harnessing your anxiety and turning it into something productive. It's like you kind of lean into it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, <laughs> you have to like kind of use it to your advantage. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I've discovered fear never goes away. You know, I've always been kind of an anxious person ever since I was a little kid. And you can learn to manage it and ultimately master it in the sense that it doesn't control you, but it's always kind of there, you know, lurking or looking over your shoulder. And so I've just learned how to trick it into helping me get my work done. <laughs> that's really, that's a good way to go. Yeah. It it's like, if I can't make you go away, can so, I make you inadvertently help me? That's right. It's like, we're going to kind of shift the road a little bit. Yeah. So we're going to go this way and little did you know, that got me to my goal. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. And you mentioned galleries, so that actually brings me to my next topic. You helped curate a wonderful show, Curiouser and Curiouser, which my friend Jeanette and I had an opportunity to go to, and it was a beautiful show. Thank you. That was a really neat show to be a part of. It was just fantastic art and just very well done over at Center Stage Gallery. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to know if you could share just how that came about. That y'all yeah. Were able to put together a well, show. Alicia Gibson was my co-curator on that show. Mm-hmm. And how that happened was she and I met at CTN and she had this really neat teacup art where she had layered resin and paintings in a teacup. And I had some steampunk Alice in Wonderland thing that I had done for a collector. And she just said, hey, do you want to do an Alice in Wonderland show? And I'm like, 
sure why not it'd be fun <laughs> yeah i like i like doing shows <laughs> and at this point i hadn't really organized a show i had kind of participated but i was this was the first foray into that and so then we started looking around for studios and i thought well the center stage gallery is a really neat one i've been to a lot of cool shows there i wonder if we could get in there and it seemed a little bit pie in the sky like well you know you have no credentials to do this. You're just, just like, hey, can I do a show? You know, uh, I, I don't know how to do it, but I'll do it. And it turns out that my old mentor, Sue, knew Tina. And I hadn't at this point gotten to meet Tina in person. So she connected me. And then Alicia and I brought this idea to Tina Price, who really enjoyed the concept of trying to give a lot of different artists a platform and a voice to show their own style and give them you know, a chance to shine using Alice in Wonderland as a material. Yeah, so then we uh, spent, a, gosh, like a year planning it, and it ultimately accumulated in the Curiouser and Curiouser show in, in November of, I don't remember what year, 15 or 16? <laughs> the years have started to merge together. <laughs> but we were really grateful for the opportunity and all the really wonderful artists who, you know, surprised me with, with what great stuff they had up their sleeves, and I was so pleased I was really happy that the community turned out and that the artists were so enthusiastic and so keen to shine a light on one another and to let their own voice come through. It was really happy times. That's wonderful. A lot of work, um, I know you're planning another show now. Yes. That there's a few things that you're allowed to talk because it's coming May 5th. Yes, May 5th is the big mm day. What do you feel like you learned from your previous show that you're going to be able to take into this new show coming up? Be really organized from the beginning. I had no idea how many moving parts there would really be. I knew it would be hard, but I have so many spreadsheets now and email lists and things just to keep myself in order because we have many, many artists coming together. So yeah, this time I'm working with Anika Orak, who's a wonderful artist that Alicia introduced me to. And we're working together with Tina and Creative Talent Network to produce Project Neverland for Center Stage Gallery. So it's opening May 5th. And all I can say is that it, it is Peter Pan, but like you have not seen it before. And it's got many wonderful artists creating brand new works. I am so excited for it but you will just have to come and see on May 5th what it's like. I'm real excited for the opening, though. That's right, everybody. So May 5th, definitely check that out. I'll be there. Mm -hmm. I know many other people. We'll be at Center Stage Gallery in Burbank. Absolutely. And then as we get closer to the date, I'll put a link in the show notes so all of you guys out there can hear more about it. And so I guess just my last question then is just wanting to find out what are you interested in now? Like, you know, now that you're on... Your artistic journey and doing new things mm-hmm. and creating new shows what inspires you now like what are some things that you look to now for inspiration this might seem weird but dolls i'm so into dolls lately <laughs> so um not specifically barbie but um i got into customizing monster high dolls a while ago as just kind of a, a calm down hobby and i've been fascinated with the amount of expressiveness you can get on a face on a little vinyl figure. And I've always liked miniatures, so it's been an interesting new area for me to explore. And particularly there are these beautiful kind of anime aesthetic dolls from South Korea called Polyp dolls that I collect and have started learning to customize. You can paint their faces, you can give them different wigs, different eye chips, so little costumes for them. So I'm learning embroidery. Mm -hmm. for my polyps so that I can create beautifully embroidered outfits for them. 
And I hope to one day, <laughs> one of my bucket list items is to be featured as one of the pull-up creators. They have a creator's label oh, where wow. people who have created excellent custom pull-ups, their doll is mass manufactured so that collectors can have it. <laughs> and, wow. and they're just like, mm, I, another, it's another one of those things where I don't have the credentials, but I really want that. So <laughs> I've been playing around with that. And then I've just been returning to books. Honestly, I, I was always a big reader as a kid. I love fairy tales. I love folklore and fantasy. So I've been finding a lot of inspiration, just Tolkien, rereading Narnia, you know, going back and reading a lot of poetry and reading every night has gotten my brain going again. And I'm currently working on a book that's the retelling of the myth of Medusa. It's not got anything to do with the one that Sony was developing, something I've had in me for a while. And I'm working with a wonderful agent, Ben Grange, over at Jabberwocky to get that out to the public. And it's I have it envisioned as an illustrated novel. Oh, wow. So I'm hoping I can, you know, sell that to the company. Like, yeah, go full color, please. It's going to be beautiful. Yeah, so that's kind of an interesting adventure where I'm now writing and illustrating as well. Yeah, so books and dolls in the short. <laughs> also, I've been very fascinated with, I never let myself indulge in Japanese culture when I was younger because I wanted to be cool. And I thought, I, I know, how judgmental is that, right? It's very judgmental of me. But I was afraid that if I was like one of those anime girls, then maybe people wouldn't take me seriously. And this was, again, the old pretentious student me talking. But now that I'm kind of in this place where I'm like, you know what, I just want to do what I like. I really like kawaii culture. I really like Harajuku fashion and J-pop and stuff like that. And so I would like to explore you know, how my work might look if I let it have a bit more of that influence. Mm -hmm. And I would really like to go to Japan and just kind of take it in, you know. Oh, that's I mean, I want to be careful not to appropriate another culture, but I want to kind of let their ideas bounce off of me and come back different. Just embrace this, like, I'm interested in this, I want to know more about yeah, this. Yeah, because I used to be like, oh, if you draw anime eyes, no one will take your art seriously. And I'm like, that is a pretentious and silly thing to say, you know. I think that there's a way to create an interesting look by using a few Japanese influences and, and merging it with my American style. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that too, because I know I felt that way. I know other people felt that way too, of, I really like this, Yeah, but if I let but people not, know yeah, I like I can't this, indulge. then I won't be, you know, cool and hip, so I have to pretend I don't like it. And yeah. it's like, it's like you're at war with yourself. Yeah. It's, it's when you embrace that and just go, you know what? No, I enjoy this. It's fine. Whatever. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to like what I like. I will talk. Anyone who's willing to listen to me talk about dolls, I will talk your ear off about it. I will show you like, oh, do you want to see pictures of my dolls? Like, I don't have kids or cats, but well, mm -hmm. I have a cat, but my parents are taking care of her because I moved down here and the place I'm at doesn't allow cats. So now I'm just like the crazy doll lady. <laughs> and I'm like, maybe someday I'll make a doll line or something. I don't know. There you go. Or you have, you can, you know, doll cast with Casey Rowan. Yeah. All about you know? Dolls. Yeah. I, I actually started an ill-fated doll review channel and I just did not have the time to really devote to it. So mm -hmm. I've kind of left that to the professionals, but I'm interested in seeing what I can do with customizing them, using them as a medium, as a springboard, mm -hmm. or even just as a an escape from all the other stuff that I'm doing. Another yeah, good. it's good to have hobbies. But actually, you mentioned something too that I want to I touch on. Yeah. Where 
you know, you said, you know, you didn't know if you had the credentials for doing the gallery show, but yeah. you didn't. You weren't sure yep. if you had the credentials to work on, you know, some of the books, but you did it. Yeah. And it sounds like, just go for it. It sounds like what you're saying is, you know, if you want yeah. to do it, just just do it and tell people, here's the idea <laughs> you know? of what do you think, and then it may work out. I, I say, if there's an opportunity to pitch and people mm-hmm. want to hear your pitch, go ahead and pitch. Because worst case scenario, they don't go for it. They'll be able to tell you whether it's something that they can actually support you in. If I had brought the show to Tina and she had said, thank you, but we're not looking for that, then I would have had to accept that. And that's a possibility. So if you're okay with the possibility that people may not go for it, put it out there. You know, like I was really, really hesitant. I just posted a uh, Monster High face up that I did that I was really pleased with on my main art channel. I'm just like, mm, I'm going to lose followers. All people are going to be like, what is this? I didn't sign up for this. You know? <laughs> and to be fair, I lost a few followers, but I got more than that back in new people and I got a lot of engagement. And so I'm like, you know, what? I have to keep learning this. Just try things. I have to be more comfortable with allowing myself to try things and have the possibility of failing. Here's a good example. My mentor suggested that I might find a market for myself at Surtex, which is a big kind of CTN-like expo where artists and designers bring their work and they're looking for people to license it for textile patterns, for printing onto consumer products and that kind of thing. So I spent months and thousands of dollars going to Surtex flopped oh no i was so bored no one talked to me it was clear that what i had was not what they wanted it was just not a fit you know it was just like oh i don't like this and they don't like me and that's okay (laughs) like i was just like it was a very east coast aesthetic it was a very established thing just going and trying to be like hey here's what i do do you like it did not work however the ladies from Pinup Girl saw me there and they clicked with it. They're like, oh, we need this. So now I get to work on a pattern for a dress that's in my own style. And I'm so pleased, you know, and my art director has been very patient with me because I am not well versed in the textile industry. So I try not to be painfully ignorant. I do try to go and read things and do due diligence. But there are a few terms where I'm like, you're going to have to let me know what that abbreviation means. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think I mean, obviously, if you're underqualified for a job, don't take the helm and crash a project into the ground if it's already running. Be responsible about it. But if no one's going to get hurt, you know, if the worst case scenario is that you personally will experience some rejection or some embarrassment, if you really feel it, go for it. I think you you can kind of tell within your heart whether you have the chutzpah to, to get through it, to get it done. That's great. And I like the fact that you tried it. I liked about you know you went to Surtex. Yeah, and you tried it. And I it lost a lot of money. It didn't work out, but you ended up getting a good opportunity. For mm-hmm. it, but at least, but at least you tried. Yeah, I can tell myself. Look, I gave it a really good shot. Mm-hmm. I learned some interesting things. I learned how to make textile patterns, and who knows whether later in my career that might be really useful. Maybe that thing I did ten years ago was like, oh great, I can use this now. But yeah, I had to take a big risk, and I was really nervous and at a certain point I just had to surrender myself to I'm trying something new and it might not work and it didn't work and I'm still okay (laughs) you know still worked out well Casey where can people find you online if they want to check out your Etsy store and all the different work that you're doing yeah so I do have an Etsy shop I love Etsy orders I love packing them and making them really cute it's slash 
Casey Robin Art is the name of the Etsy shop. You can find my general page is just CaseyRobin.com. That's kind of older. I had a web guy do that for me. So the ones that I update more are my Instagram, which is handle at Casey Robin. Twitter, which is Casey Robin Art, because Casey Robin was taken. And, oh, no. <laughs> and Facebook, it's also just Casey Robin. I mean, generally speaking, if you Google Casey Robin, you'll find me. He's like, I am the first one. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny, it's not even my first and last name. It's my first and middle name. Because ah. there was a Casey Neal, Neal's my last name, who spelled their name the same way as me, who already got the domain name Casey Neal. Dot com. So. Oh, and one other thing that I wanted to talk about, a very interesting new thing that I've started doing is collaborating with my brother, who is a tea blend master. He oh, wow. studied tea blending in Seattle, and he's like incredibly good with tea. And we've launched a tea line called Tea and Strumpets. Oh, my god! And they come in really cute tins with little pinup girls that are um, kind of a characterization of the tea. So if the tea is a spicy sweet tea from India, the girl looks spicy and sweet and Indian. You know, so that's the chai that I'll be working on later. And we have three varieties currently available through my Etsy. And we're working on a dedicated website. We've done sort of a very soft launch, uh, but you can get those online. And I'm very, very pleased with how they've come out. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, it's fun. The first person, and I have this other side business, and we make tea. It's yeah, because like, my brother, like, I was doing these tea-themed pinups, mm -hmm. and my brother's like, you do know that I blend tea, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, do you, you, you want to do that? So we actually sell the tins with the tea and they have the art on them. And the idea is that the tins themselves are a little art object that you can keep, you know, put paint brushes in or something after you finish the tea. And that we've taken tea and given it characters. And they're real cute, kind of turn of the century burlesque inspired. That is wonderful. Well, Casey, it has been delightful talking with you today. Of I have course. learned so much. I know all the <laughs> listeners are going to learn a lot too. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Is there anything else you'd like to share or anything that I didn't ask? Come to Project Neverland, May 5th, CSG, Center Stage Gallery. It's going to be really neat. I'm very, very pleased with the people who are making work for this and with the... It's going to be it's going to be really cool. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, you heard it here, folks. May 5th, mark your calendars. We'll have more information on the website as we get closer to the date. Yep. You're going to have to come to see what it is, but it is cool. Thank you. Thank Casey. you. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Absolutely. And just to all the listeners, you know make beautiful things and live a beautiful life and be kind to yourself. And that concludes my interview with Casey Robin. Special thanks to Casey for being such a wonderful guest. And make sure to check out Project Neverland this Friday, May 5th from 7 to 10 p.m. at Center Stage Gallery in Burbank, California. You'll have an opportunity to meet Casey as well as meet a number of other talented artists who will be exhibiting at the gallery. And make sure to check out her Etsy shop as well as all of her other websites online. They will be listed in the show notes. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure to leave a five-star review in iTunes. All of your reviews help more people to find out about the show. And thank you so much to everyone who has left a review thus far. I really appreciate it. And you can also support the show by visiting www.theanimatedjourney.com and clicking on the PayPal donate button on the right hand side of the website. All of your donations help me to pay for keeping the show up and running. And thank you so much to everyone who has donated. Again, I truly appreciate it. And make sure to support all of our affiliate sponsors. This past week, I downloaded a new audiobook from audible.com by one of my all-time favorite comic book artists. 
The book is called Unnatural Talent, Creating, Printing, and Selling Your Comic in the Digital Age, and it's written by Jason Brubaker. Jason Brubaker is one of my all-time favorite comic book artists. He's the winner of the Zerit Grant. He's also had several wildly successful Kickstarter campaigns to print his two comic book series, Remind and Sithra, which are fantastic books in their own right. You should go out and buy them right now. And he just unpacks everything that you need to know about creating and marketing a successful webcomic and getting it to print. And he is now working full-time as a comic book artist. He knows what he's talking about. He narrates the book himself. It's a wonderful book. It's a lot of really good information. And Jason is a really helpful individual who has just provided a lot of excellent advice. I highly recommend downloading his book. You can click on the Audible banner on the AnimatedJourney.com website to get your audiobook today. Again, highly recommend it. Or if just reading paper and print books is your thing or downloading your books to Kindle, you can also get Unnatural Talent by clicking on the Amazon.com banner on the website and getting your book that way as well. I actually also have the print copy. So again, highly recommend it. And if you're interested in the latest in geek and gaming gear, make sure to click the banner for LootCrate.com. Every month you'll get a really cool box of really neat geek and gaming gear from Loot Crate. And if you've ever wanted to create a podcast of your very own, I highly recommend Blueberry Podcast Hosting. That's what I use to host this podcast. I love it. It's a fantastic service, very affordable, and you can click on the banner ad on the website to try it out for one month free. So go out there and every time you click on their banner links and make a purchase, a little bit of money comes back to the show and that money helps me to keep the show up and running. So thank you to everyone who has supported the sponsors, who's donated to PayPal, who's left a review. I cannot thank you guys enough. You are the best fans ever. And if you want to see what else is going on in the wonderful world of animation, make sure to check out the Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash The Animated Journey. On Tumblr, the site is www.theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at AnimJourney. And to see what I have been doing lately, I am all over the internet. My website is www.sketchysoul.com. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash sketchysoul. Tumblr is sketchysoul.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at sketchysoul. So thank you to everyone for listening. And until next time, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody.